it. And we, we didn't get it. You know, isn't that what you do? You raise your kids up to serve the Lord, right? Come on, say amen. Now, moms and dads, believe it. Yeah, because what we really want is for them to grow up and live next door and go to church with us. And when you talk about going out to the mission field, that hurts. And I didn't understand that, why her parents were so upset with me. But now I'm a grandpop, and I've got five lovely granddaughters here, and I'm way over there, and I don't get to hug them, you know. So I understand now why they sent Sue's brother to her privately and said, look, you go, we'll support you, but give us the kids, you know. <laughs> I understand it. Anyway. By God's grace, we are back in the Middle East. We've been there for, oh gosh, over two years now. And the last four years, when you guys started supporting us, I was going in and out all the time while Sue was a teacher here uh, at the New Jersey United Christian Academy in a nearby county. And we live in Bahrain. It's a tiny desert island in the Persian Gulf. Our nearest neighbor is 12 miles away. That would be Saudi Arabia. Uh, which we Christians over there refer to as the belly of the beast. You know, Saudi Arabia, those really nice people that sent us Al-Qaeda. <laughs> so uh, they're kind of weird over there. And um, they're just 12 miles away on this little bridge, uh, which is affectionately known as the party bridge, because Bahrain is more modern and more tolerant than Saudi Arabia. So on the weekends, they come driving over. And uh, I always tell my friends, and especially my wife, if you see a woman driving a car and the license plate says KSA, Kingdom of Saudi Arabia, get out of the way. Let her go. Because women aren't allowed to drive in Saudi Arabia. It's very repressive. So when they get across that bridge, man, they rip that veil off and grab the steering wheel. Look out! You know? oh, mama's here, you know? So I give them plenty of room. So... There we are in Bahrain. I, I do apologize. I had some pictures with me, and uh, I, I set my, my phone alarm on 7 p.m. instead of 7 a.m. and got up late, so forgive me. Is there anything up there? Oh, wow. How about that? Good. Thank you, guys. So let me tell you a little bit about Bahrain. First of all, how many of you know where Bahrain is? You all should. I just told you. Come on. <laughs> Usually I get one guy that's been in the Navy. Bahrain is the home port of the U.S. Navy's 5th Fleet, and it's a real honor and privilege to be serving there. Where's Trevor? Dude, when they send you to Bahrain, look me up, okay? Uh, while I've been gone this past month, we've had two chaplains from the base filling in, teaching uh, the Bible at our church, and it's really exciting. So I want to thank you for sending us there and being part of the team. Uh, but Bahrain... Just the tiniest little dot in the Persian Gulf, but it's, it's like a pawn on a chess game because Saudi Arabia, as I said, is to the, to the west of us. They are Sunni Muslims. To the right of us is the Persian Gulf. They are Shiite Muslims. We say Shia, uh, but this is what's gone on in the world. There's this battle has been going on between the Sunni and the Shia ever since the death of their prophet Muhammad. So, you know, they just hate each other. And you're seeing a lot of that. Uh, just a couple of weeks ago, ISIS was big in the news, you know, before the Ukraine and Gaza got back in the news. But uh, trust me, our troops are back in Iraq. And I know that because we've prayed. I want to go home um, to Bahrain. We've prayed there for, for men who were sent back in 
to Iraq. So uh, there's a lot going on, and we need to honor and bless our troops and our policemen. And, and I don't say that just because Joe is a cop, but they're, they protect you. They do the stuff that none of us want to do, the stuff that has to be done. Yeah, right. But the rest of us, <clears throat> our job is to lead people to Christ and to pray for them. Because, you know, when you lead somebody to Christ, they don't think about killing and robbing and stealing. We change. We become a new creation. So that's what we're doing out there. So a little bit about Bahrain. Uh, first Arab country in the world to discover oil in 1932. It is a rich little island. And so different from when we worked with garbage collectors in Cairo. That was one end of the scale. Now we're way on the other end where I've actually met the king a few times and uh, it's just a totally different ministry. Um, most of the people I meet in the Arab world, it's interesting, the, the number one question, the question I've had to answer more than anything else is, can you get me to America? Everybody wants to come here, right? Uh, you're here, you know, and we come from a diverse background, but everybody wants to get here. And I don't get it. Because in Bahrain, you get a free education from kindergarten all the way through university. You get free health care from the cradle to the grave. The king told a bunch of us pastors one time, he goes, I don't know why they're so upset with me. I pay 30% of their electric bill. When was the last time the governor of New Jersey shelled out 30% of your bills? You know, and they want to come here, and I don't get it. You know? And then if they get married... Their name goes on a waiting list for a house. The government gives them a house. I'm like, why do you want to come to America? And there's no taxes. None. Gas. Petrol for your car. A dollar a gallon. Of course, there's nowhere to go because it's only the size of Middlesex <laughs> County. Interesting place. Bahrain means two seas, and, and they call it that because it's between two seas in the Persian Gulf. Uh, some call it the Arabian Gulf on one side. It's the Persian Gulf on the other side. Uh, but the interesting thing is we have two populations there. Less than half of the, well, let me give you, the population is 1,314,000. Only 46% of the people in that country are Bahraini nationals. The rest are guest workers like me. We all come from other places. Mostly they come from South Asia, a lot of Pakistanis and Indians. And, uh, and we, we don't speak Arabic. I mean, I speak Arabic, but when I go to speak Arabic, the people there, they're like, I do not understand you, you know. Why? Because he's from Pakistan, you know, he's not an Arab. So they're from all over the place. Um, told you about the, the bit with the Shia and the Sunni. Uh, in Bahrain, only 30% of the population are Sunni, and that's the king and his family. So they've got all the money, and the Shia want the power and the money. And so there's a lot of uh, political unrest, as they say. Um, it's a really fascinating place. It's a little more tolerant than other Arab countries. Um, I sat with the king one time. He had a bunch of us pastors in, and because of the political unrest, there's, there's burnings in the street about every other day uh, we run across that. And um, in fact, one time I was telling Pastor Joe uh, about a month, maybe two months ago now, my wife was coming home from school. She's a school teacher. And... Um, there, there was some stuff on the road. There was a suitcase laying there and, uh, and some other things. And, and, and it's in an intersection that we affectionately call Charcoal Corner. 
because the boys like to roll tires out in the street and light them up with gas and throw Molotov cocktails and all that kind of stuff, you know. So, uh, so we call it Charcoal Corner because it's all black, you know. Uh, the dirt even is black. And they were coming up on that intersection. And, and they said, what's that stuff? And there was a suitcase. And, and they got closer. And there was a stool with a teapot on it. On top of the teapot was a cell phone with wires from the cell phone into the teapot. And then they got within two feet of this and realized they were looking at a kettle bomb. And it's on the stool to do maximum damage to people rather than the power and the, you know, the metal go down. And, and God bless her. She said, you know, today was the first time I've ever been afraid in the Middle East. She's a real trooper. She's a good one. Uh, but that shook her up a bit. So why are we there? Well, and what are we doing? Uh, you're doing it with us. You know, you either go or you give so that others go, and you're a good supporting church, and we're thankful for that. But our ministry has three components throughout the Middle East. Um, we work in Bahrain, we live in Bahrain, but we also do works in Egypt and Jordan and uh, Israel and among Syrian refugees. And by the way, just in case, you, you know, Joe said tell you about your bubble here, uh, you can go anywhere with your Amer American passport. Uh, I can't, with my American passport, I can't go into Saudi Arabia if I wanted to. I can't go to Iran or Syria if I want to, uh, and several other Arab nations, because I've been to Israel, and it's in my passport. The Hebrew is in my passport. They don't recognize Israel as a nation, so um, we have some limitations. But uh, we go there um, where we can, and uh, we, the first thing we do is comfort persecuted Christians in the Arab world. They are being persecuted, and uh, we go there and we comfort them. We sit with them. We befriend them. We talk with them. We listen to them, you know, and, and we try to bless them with financial uh, gifts when we can. Um, it's a wonderful thing. We recently, uh, in that garbage village where we used to work years ago, we just bought uh, a playground, built a playground. We were able to go there at Christmas time and see the kids playing on the playground. And then we noticed they needed desks, so we were able to put in an order for school desks. Uh, and that's a good thing, you know, to bless people like that. Um, yeah, the, right before we left, we've been working with Syrian refugees. You know, there's a war going on in Syria. It's a civil war. And uh, it's interesting. When you, when you see all these things on the news about wars and things, please don't forget there are Christians in that part of the world. There are literally millions of Christians there. There are over 10 million in Egypt alone. But now, right now, last week, okay, Israel started sending tanks into Gaza. And I'm not going to get political on you, okay? But there are Christians living in Gaza. They are your brothers and sisters in Christ. There are also Christians in the Israeli army, okay? Uh, so please pray for the Christians and try to tear the political stuff away. I love Israel. I know, you know, I teach the prophecies about Israel as well. But I've sat and had tea and meals with Christian Arabs. And, and what happens, like in Gaza, is the guys in Hamas, they'll put a rocket launcher in the back of a pickup truck, and they'll drive to a Christian neighborhood and start shooting rockets from there. Because they know the Israelis are more civilized. They don't want to shoot back to a neighborhood that's not a, a threat to them. But this is how evil men's hearts can be. So when you see tanks rolling across borders, please do not rejoice. I asked the church one time a few years ago, what should we do about the Israel-Palestine issue? And, and I heard a guy yell out, nuke them. I'm like, well, bro, I was thinking about light, but uh, 
It wasn't nuclear powered, you know what I mean? It was the light of Christ. <laughs> and, and the reality, again, if you lead an Arab to Christ, he'll fall in love with Israel. It's so amazing. Every year there is a conference with Muslim background believers, Jewish background believers, and Christian background believers standing in a great hall, raising their hands, worshiping the Lord together. We're one in Christ. So that's important not to get caught up in the politics and think about killing people, please. Uh, we also connect Arabs and American Christians in the Middle East, and we often lead tours. We're going to Israel again in March uh, with one of the Calvary chapels up in New York, and um, we like to take them in and show them that you know, not every Arab is a Muslim and not every Muslim is a terrorist. The Muslim people... That, that I know and love, and I love them, I really do. I don't love Islam. I think Islam is from the pit of hell. But I love the Muslims, and, and I'll try and explain that if, uh, if we have time. But uh, we love them, and so we take people in to see them and meet them and hear their stories. You know, stories of Iraqi refugees and Syrian refugees living in Jordan. Uh, I told you I have this old farmhouse in South Jersey and, and the water pipes broke in this winter. So I've been, like, my vacation has really been crummy. <laughs> you know, I've been putting drywall and insulation and trying to fix the place. And, uh, you know, I start to whine and complain. And that's when my wife, God bless her, she says, you know, honey, we could be in Syria. We could be in Iraq. In Egypt, when the Muslim Brotherhood were in control, in one year alone, over eight hundred churches were set on fire by the Muslim Brotherhood. That's in one year. I was so upset when the Brotherhood came into power. I, I was there in Egypt with friends, and I, I said, man, I, I'm, I'm on my knees for you guys. This is terrible. How, how could this happen? And, and this Christian friend of mine, he got a big smile on his face. He goes, oh, no, Brother Dennis, this is good. I'm like, good? How can this be good? You know, the, the, the thugs just took over the White House. Excuse me. Took over the palace. <laughs> I think they call that a Freudian slip. Anyway, so I'm all upset. He goes, no, this is a good thing. He said, what the Muslim people in the streets need to see is how evil the Muslim Brotherhood is. He said, you give them three years, they'll throw the bums out. It only took one year. 30 million people went into the streets of Cairo and overthrew the government. I'm like, yeah, God is good. He's on time, you know. So it's exciting. Anyway, let me move on. So we connect Americans with Arab Christians. By the way, if you want to go talk to me, I would really love it if some of you would say at the end of this message, hey, man, I want to go. Uh, we have a lot of opportunities to work and to serve. Some of them are paid positions. Some you have to raise support, personal financial support. But um, go. Moms and dads, you know your teenagers are driving you crazy anyway. Send them, you know. Um, <laughs> So we have this conference in October where we gather all the Calvary Chapel missionaries and some of the Arab missionaries and stuff, and, and we, we get together in Jordan in October. You're welcome to come to that and pray for these folks firsthand. Go out and see some of the work. Uh, we have nothing to hide. We love it when people come over and see where your money's going, see what your prayers are doing. Do you guys, uh, where's Joe at? Are you still here? Okay. Do you guys do uh, the shoebox thing with Samaritan's Purse? I've actually seen those shoeboxes in homes, and, and one of our churches in Jordan uh, gives them out to Christian and Muslim kids. 
uh, every year. They have a big party for Christmas. It's exciting. So, uh, We also coach Christians to share the gospel with Muslims. Uh, I was doing that here, going around. Uh, if any of you lead a small group study or maybe in your Saturday courses, your uh, Bible college, there's a course called Bridges. Bridges is put out by the Crescent Project. These are Christians in Indiana, by the way. Heard somebody's going to Indiana. Uh, it's a great course called Bridges. It's uh, on DVD, and it'll teach you how to love your Muslim neighbors. Some of you, I know, you see these people here in North Jersey, and you see the ladies with the veils, and it makes you mad. Guys, listen. Open immigration is an opportunity to share the gospel without leaving your country, without learning a foreign language. They're here. So let's just chalk it up to God's grace and make sure it's an opportunity to share Christ with them. And it's so easy. If you talk to a regular American about God, it'll take you about two years to convince them there's even a God. Right? I mean, they're hardheads. They're secular. They're atheists. They're agnostic. But you talk to a Muslim about God, I guarantee you within three minutes at the most... You'll be talking about Jesus because he's in their Quran more than 70 times. He's listed as the only perfect prophet out there. They believe in the virgin birth. I was sitting with a sheikh and a mom, you know, the guys that lead like the pastor version in Islam. And, you know, we sit, we talk about our faith and stuff. And uh, his sister was there and she, she joined in and she said, oh, you should invite your wife. We're having a celebration, a celebration of Mary. I said, of, of Mary from the Bible? And she said, oh, yeah. And she said, you know, she had a virgin birth. Now, they call Jesus the son of Mary. And we like to build on that and say, well, Mary didn't do the miracle. We call him the son of God because God did the miracle. Okay, it's like kind of an opening line. But I was shocked to find out that they gather barren women, women who cannot have a baby, and they lay hands on them and pray for them to have a miracle like Mary. Now, could you talk to somebody like that? I, I think you could. So don't be afraid of Muslims. They're, they're not scary. Unless they got a machine gun or, you know, Kalashnikov. Then avoid them. Avoid them. Yeah, yeah, Denny, you know, you told my people. I can hear, you know, Pastor Joe, you know. No. They're, they're just like you and me. They want to have a nice home. I have yet to meet, well, that's just not quite true. I was going to say I haven't met a Muslim that wants more than one wife. I did meet one. He was crazy. I mean, married guys. I mean, is one enough? You know what I mean? Four? Who in their right mind would want to quadruple what you already have? And I'm married 38 years next week, okay? I love my honey, okay? I don't need another one. Um, but most Muslims are just like that. They want one wife. They want their kids to grow up in safety and in peace, go to a good school, get a good education, and have a nice life. They're just like you. My wife teaches in a, in a Muslim school. Okay, it's, it's a national school. It's run by the government for all these little rich kids. She teaches kindergarten. She used to teach 10th grade biology here. I said, what's with the switch from bio, you know, 10th grade to kindergarten? She said, I'm a grandmom, and here I can hug them all day long. So she's in there hugging these little Muslim kids, right? And they're so rich. She said, she was shocked. I said, how's school going, you know, when she first started? She goes, it's the weirdest school I've ever been in. She said, they all come with chauffeurs, okay? The chauffeurs bring them. Then the nanny walks them into class, you know, and takes their, their, their iPhones and their iPads away because they're not supposed to have them in class. Four years old, okay? 
And um, just an amazing time there with the kids, but she loves them. You know what she's doing with them? I said, what are you doing in this Muslim school? And by the way, the whole point of that was to say, she told me once, she said, this school is just like the Christian school. It's the closest thing I've seen to a Christian school. I said, how could that be? She said, because they're teaching the kids, this is their mission, to teach them Western critical thinking so they can go to any college in the world. Because mostly in that part of the world, they do rote memory, okay, which uh, is education. Teach them Western critical thinking coupled with Islamic values. I said, well, what is that, Islamic values? And then she was the one that told me to raise a family, to be kind to your neighbors. All the things we teach our kids in Sunday school, that's what they're talking about, to be good citizens. She said, I love it. Her assistant the first year there was a Muslim who had become a Christian. She, and she was backsliding. She was thinking about becoming, you know, going back to Islam. And my wife said, you know what? I, when I'm a teacher, I, I like to pray to start the day. You think we could pray together? Oh, yes. You know? Well, now she's a strong believer again. You know? And they pray together before classes. She said, I want them to see an authentic follower of Christ. <clears throat> Guys, you, you folks that are out there working, you need to hear this. Muslims need to see an authentic follower of Jesus. They need to see the real deal. If you're a phony Christian, then please don't tell anybody. You know when Madonna used to dance on stage half naked with the cross bouncing up and down? It's like, honey, take the cross off, would you please? Okay? They need to see a real follower. And when you meet a Muslim who has become a Christian, you will hear two things. One, they had a dream or a vision. The Lord got fed up with the church about 20 years ago, and he started going to Muslims in dreams and visions, and he's still doing it. God loves the Muslim people. The second thing they will tell you is somewhere along their life, they met a real, true follower of Jesus. There's one fellow I met 19 years. He met a Christian family, was invited to their home here in America. It took him 19 years before he finally gave his heart to God, but he said, in those 19 years, I would continually think, about that family that invited me to their home. Do you know the people that invented the Muslim Brotherhood who started it? One of them was actually in the United States during the 1950s. He said, I was never invited into a Christian home. I was invited to a church one time. It was a Presbyterian church, and they were having a dance in the basement, and men and women were holding each other and dancing, and that's like really weird in Islam. They don't do that. Think about that. God opened the doors to America. If you see one, make up some reason. Bump into them or something, you know, and get a conversation. Go, Come visit me. Then, you'll, then when you see a Muslim here, you can say, hey, I've been in the Middle East, man. We're like brothers, you know. <laughs> and you can start a conversation. I am way off topic. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Are you being called to serve today? Less than 2% of all mission money, less than 2% of all Christians from Europe and America going into the mission field, less than 2% will go to the Middle East. Less than 2% of the money will go. Why? Because we're scared. Do not think I'm a brave person standing up here. My biggest nightmare is that somebody's going to put a leather bag over my head and throw me in a basement somewhere. I'm scared of that. I am. I don't want it to happen. I beg God. I can't tell you how many times I've prayed, Lord, if they ever hold a knife to my throat, please help me not to deny you. I am not a brave man. I'm a called man. Do you understand me? And it's, it's just no place for whips. All the missionaries are like cowboys out there. They're just the craziest bunch of people, and I love them. But, um, you know, 
things happen. I told you about the protests going on. I'll give you a Sue story. Sue is my wife. She and our daughter, Ellen, who no longer lives with us over there. She became 18, and she's back here. Anyway, they decided they wanted to go to the mall one night. And I'm telling you, God is alive and well, and he's gracious. That night, they didn't make me go with them. You know, like, we want to go to the mall. It's usually like, oh, gosh, stick me with a pin, you know. I hate the mall. So anyway, the girl said, we're going to go to the mall. And, and, and you don't have to go. And I'm like, great, praise the Lord. So they left, and they're driving down the road. And my daughter says, hey, Mom, turn here. Dad knows a shortcut, and I know it too. Turn into this alleyway. Well, she turns into the alleyway, which opens up into like a big parking area. And there are the boys with the ski mask over their head with burning bottles. You know, Molot- you know what Molotov cocktails look like? If you're saying no, you haven't lived. I mean, it's like, anyway, they got the Molotov cocktail on the rocks. And as she's driving in and looking like, what is that? She hears boom, boom, you know? And it's the police shooting. They got shotguns and, and these stun uh, things they shoot at them. And uh, all of a sudden, she stops the car and she's like, oh my gosh, we're in the middle of it, you know? I said, what'd you do? She said, well, you know, I, I discovered something tonight. She said, these protesters are polite. I said, what? She said, they're so polite. When they looked up, the boys looked up and they saw these two Western women. They put the Molotov cocktails and the rocks down like this and just waited. And the cops were over here and they put the shotguns down and they waited. She said, I did a K-turn and we left. She said, I've never seen polite protesters. I didn't think they'd be like that. So I I said to her, well, what did you do then? She said, well, I was freaking out. She said, I I told Ellen, look, we're out here and your dad's not with us and and we're going to go home. Now, we had been living there about seven or eight months. My daughter was 17 years old, and she's very calm. She says, Mom, calm down. She said, you know as well as I do, protesters do not go to the mall. Let's just go shopping. And they did. (laughs) So we've gotten quite used to all that. I've got 10 minutes. Um, It's not for wimps. For starters, it was 115 degrees when I left three, four weeks ago. It'll be even hotter when I get back. It doesn't last all year, but uh, it's very hot. And then they do have fires. And yes, occasionally wars break out and stuff like that. But come on, I'm not asking you to go to Newark, am I? (laughs) You know, you think about that for a while. I am a pastor over there. I actually have a visa. It says I'm a priest because I don't have a word for pastor in Arabic. But how cool is that? I'm in a Muslim country in the Gulf, 12 miles away from the belly of the beast. And I have a passport and a visa that says I'm a priest. Of course, I couldn't go into Saudi because of that as well. But I'm there serving the Lord. The king said to us one time, he said, you know, um, he said, when I was in college, I went to England. I think it was Oxford. And he said, uh, they made us go to chapel. So I went. He said, you know what? He said, I didn't understand everything completely. But I really liked the singing. And I always felt better when I came out than when I went in. So I'm like, where's the Bible? Let's have a Bible study, you know. Uh, And later, I had the privilege to actually give him a Bible. I I went up to him. I'm in the waiting line. and, and, And another pastor friend of mine, we laid hands on the book. And we prayed, Lord, don't let your word come back void. Please let him or someone in his household read it. If you've studied the book of Acts, you know that we were hopeful because in the book of Acts, it talks about believers being in the household of Herod. So I'm praying that he reads it. I don't know if he did, but I went up to him and I said, Your Majesty, 
Um, I just want to thank you for allowing us to be here, for allowing us to have a Christian church and giving us the freedom to teach uh, the Bible. And, uh, and I, want to, I wanted to give you a gift. I wasn't sure what I could give a king. I mean, the guy's a multi-billionaire. What do, you know, I'm a schlep from South Jersey. You know? So I, I said to him, look, I, I want to give you my friendship. As long as I live here, I'll teach my people in the church to be good citizens, and you know, we support what you're doing. I said, but the thing I want to really give you, the thing that's better than anything else, is the word of God in Christ Jesus. And so I present him this really beautiful Arabic Bible. And I, I said, I hope you read it. I put my business card in there. If you ever have a question, give me a call. He hasn't called yet. It's been over a year. But who knows? We have such freedom there. And, and I'm privileged to have many officers and their families from the U.S. Fifth Fleet there. I'm a Vietnam veteran, a CB. And I was able to do a wedding for a couple CBs there far away from home. They fell in love, and, and I was able to do the wedding. It's a cool place. Um, at our church, interesting church, I have met people from 32 different nations sitting in the church. Uh, at least five times as many denominations, okay? So can you imagine? We've got like Pentecostals that want to you know, swing on the chandelier, and we've got Roman Catholics, and then we've got British people. This is worship. You know, pray. My biggest challenge is to get Brits to clap their hands during you know, Hillsong or something. Uh, they just can't do it. 32 nationalities, more than five times as many denominations, and we all get along, Okay? John Calvin's not in the Bible. John Wesley's not in the Bible. We just preach Jesus, and they love it. 40%, however, leave every year. You say, boy, you must be a terrible preacher. Uh, they leave for the right reasons. It, there's a turnover. There's a turnover at the base. Sometimes we get them for a year, sometimes for two years. Uh, the rest of the people, the oil people, the bankers and the teachers, they go uh, at the end of their terms. So it's a fascinating church. We've, I stopped real early. I stopped looking at it as a, like a local church, like our church in New Jersey. To me, it's a mission-sending agency. We're a school of discipleship. I give them as much of my heart in Christ and the word as I can. And then after a year or two, we send them off. God bless you. Take the word of God around the world. So it's a pretty neat place. I told you about Sue being a kindergarten teacher amongst these Muslims and being an authentic follower but you know what? Without Christ, no matter where you are in the world, people are restless without Christ. That's why they're shooting each other. You name the country, the ethnicity, it doesn't matter. They need Christ. Jesus is the Prince of Peace, and until the day when the Prince of Peace comes into the hearts of men and women, there will be no peace. Pray, he'll come back. Uh, but they're lost and restless. Augustine said of God, he said to the Lord, You made us for yourself, and our heart is restless until it rests in thee. Sometimes we forget what it's like to be lost. If you have your Bible, please turn to Luke 15 with me. I want to look at this parable of the lost coin. It's only two verses. Uh, you know these parables in chapter 15. There's the lost sheep. And how did the sheep get lost? He put his head down and he started nibbling a little here and a little there. And before you know it, he was far away from the shepherd. Our kids do that. A little bit of the world here, a little bit there. They go to college. Watch them. Pray for your kids when they go to college. It's the enemy's territory. And they, they get lost without purposefully doing it. Then you've got the prodigal. Now that guy got lost because he was just sick and tired of it. He doesn't want God in his life. I'm going to be a heathen and that's that. And off he goes. 
But the coin is a fascinating parable, and I think it describes Muslims and maybe some of your neighbors as well. I'm reading from the New King James Version, Luke 15, verse 8. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls her friends and neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I lost. Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Now, this parable is really fascinating because there are two personas here. First of all, this lady admits, I'm the one that lost them. And I would say to you that, that we as, as Christians share that role. There are people that are lost because, you know what, we're having a good time inside the walls and we don't get out. Sometimes our Christian values and teachings can be so off the mark. You know, think of churches that are so legalistic. It's just nothing but rules and regulations. And then we've got churches that are just so libertarian, you know, that now we've got homosexual pastors and lesbians and, you know, and, and oh, it's all okay. Let's just love one another, you know. It's, what's that guy, Rodney uh, Danger? The guy they shot out in L.A. Or, no, I'm sorry, I'm getting, I'm getting way out there. <laughs> they arrested him out in Los Angeles years ago. And he said, I don't know why we all just can't get along, you know. Well, he was cursing at the policeman. He was, you know, terrible. I'm way off subject. I'm sorry. We've got that in the churches. We've got these two weird extremes. Where are people teaching the grace of God? We need that. That's why these Calvary chapels are so wonderful. We're just teaching God's word and his grace. Let God do the work. A coin has no will of its own. And this woman knows that it's her fault it was lost. You know, one of the biggest distractions to our ministry in the Middle East is American culture. I'm not here to bash America. I'm, really, I'm glad I have a blue passport. But think about what is in the movies and what's on TV today. Maybe you need to leave it. Turn your TV off for five years and come back to it. You'll be shocked. Right now, you're like the frog, you know. The water's boiling, you know. They turn the heat up, and, and then the frog boils to death. But, you know, until it gets hot, he's just swimming around. Oh, I like that show. That's my favorite show, you know. And it's like, but you don't see it. You need to let the water boil first, then throw the frog in right away. That's probably not making any sense. Turn your TV off for five or ten years, and then come back to it. The biggest challenge we have in the Middle East is Hollywood's exports. Boy meets girl, girl meets boy. What do they do? They go to bed together. They think every one of our women is promiscuous. I tell my people all the time, if you're a woman, minister to women only. If you're a man, minister to men only. You know why? Because if you're a nice, happy Christian girl witnessing the Muslim men down the street, they think you want to go to bed with them. And if I'm being too crass, Pastor Joe, I apologize. But they need, you know, they need to hear reality. This is the worst thing possible. We were at a beach in Sinai years ago, and we look over. On one side, I got Palestinian women wearing three dresses, you know, so you can't see the outline. My wife says to me all the time, can you see my legs through this dress? No, honey, you're okay. Okay, good. She'll go out. But if I could see the outline of her legs, she will not wear that dress. We had a, 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 a Bedouin woman. She was a Bedouin woman. She's got three dresses on, so you can't even see the shape of her body. Over here were two European girls, topless, Playing frisbee. 
So some of our missionary girls, we were on vacation. They went over and they said, hey, ladies, you know, you really need to cover up because the Arab guys are looking at you and they're going to think we're all kind of permitted. Shut up. Cuss them out. This is the worst thing. They think we're all heathens over here. When President Obama said America is not a Christian nation, I said amen. Thank you for clarifying that. Please tell the Muslims because they think it's a Christian country. And they think what they say on TV is Christian values. And so they don't want them. There's a lot of misinformation out there. So she's looking for this one that was lost. She's looking desperately. And and I think we need to look as well. I I was in the bank uh, a while ago. I was setting up a bank account. And there was a nice young lady there. She's all in black. All you can see is her face. And everything's covered. She's very proper. And she says, so what do you do here in Bahrain? And I said, I'm a priest. Oh, really? A Christian priest? She said, I've never met a Christian. Oh, really? You know, so I'm like in tune now. Okay, you know. And I said, so uh, why not? You know, she said, I don't know. I'm a Muslim. I said, I know you're a Muslim. But uh, I said, have you ever been to a Christian church? Oh, no, sir. I couldn't do that. I said, why not? Because I'm a Muslim. I said, we have Muslims come to our church. She said, but, but I don't drink or dance. I said, excuse me? She said, well, the imam tells us that when you gather as Christians, you drink alcohol and dance. That's what they think goes on in the churches. I said, no, 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 that's only up in Jamesburg. You know, like, <laughs> we need to represent Jesus, guys. Okay, wherever we are, because people are watching. And a Muslim has no choice. They can't change their mind, change their religion. It's not that they lack information. It's that truth is suppressed, just like that young lady. Okay, back to the parable. Okay, she's lost this coin, and she's looking for it. And we need to look for them. But the parable also has a different Angle. Okay, on one hand, she's lost the coin, so she's the one that was irresponsible. Okay, a coin doesn't climb out of your pocket and say, oh, I'm going to play hide-and-seek with my owner today. You know, they, they, you lose them, I lose them. So the second persona is God, because God is searching everywhere for people to come to him. Um, oh, I just lost the verse, but... Uh, Well, if you go forward to John 3.16, you know this verse, okay? In John 3.16, I need glasses. Chapter 4. John 3.16. For God so loved the world. God loves the world. God loves Muslims. 1.2 billion people on the planet are Muslims. Come on. God loves them. So God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Get the next verse. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Why is it that people know us as Christians by what we're against? Let that sink in for a minute. We're so opinionated. We're so cranky. My daughter said to me recently, she's kind of backsliding right now. She said, you know, 
I, you guys were always so against homosexuals, she said, and, and Nicole became a lesbian, and I, I, she was at the beach, and when I was going to church, I didn't want to go to the beach because Nicole was there that day, and, and so I wanted to protect my kids from her. She said, I don't believe that anymore. Why was I so opinionated? Why wasn't my opinion? I love lesbians. Bring them to church. They can sit in the pews. You know, we need to love people. We need to know that we're for Jesus, that we're for people, because the coin represents people, and people are lost, and they're waiting to be found. By the way, Nicole was in our youth group. She, she's a sheep that ate a little bit at college and got lost. But I have hope that she'll come back. And I do love her, and I'm sorry my daughter felt that about me, but it made me sit up and realize I need to keep my opinions to myself and just love people. That's not always easy. I'm way off. I'm sorry I'm over time as well. If I could wrap this up. This woman represents God because he carefully searches for the coin. Now, she lost one-tenth of her savings, right? Uh, who wouldn't look if you lost one-tenth of, of what you possessed? Um, but there's more to the story than that. According to ancient Muslim and Arab culture, uh, and this was true in ancient Israeli culture as well, they didn't wear a wedding ring. The ladies wore their dowry, the coins that they were given, on their face, around that face mask that you see. Uh, if you look up pictures of just maybe 50 years ago, you'll see Arab women with a veil. All you can see is their eyes, and around here are the coins. Those coins are her dowry. They're gold coins. So to lose this coin meant something more than just one-tenth of her savings. It represented her wedding ring, if you will. And aren't, isn't that true? You know, when we come to Christ, we become the bride of Christ. And so he's looking. He's looking for people. Um, it's like losing the wedding ring. And, and God doesn't want that. He wants to keep us in relationship with him. The coin's inanimate. It embodies... Um, it, it can't do what it wants to on its own will. So it embodies repentance. It's waiting, it's waiting, it's waiting for us to go to them. God has not abandoned the Muslims, okay? They are lost. But listen to the words of A.W. Tozer. He says, man is lost but not abandoned. The coming of Christ to the world tells us both these things. Had men not been lost, no Savior would have been required. Had they been abandoned... No Savior would have come, but he came. And it is now established that God is a concern for men. Though we have sinned away every shred of merit, still he has not forsaken us. Jesus said, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. That's the purpose of Jesus. He did it in your life. Now it's our purpose for others. I noticed in your bulletin, one of the main three points of your mission statement is to send people. To bring them back here where they'll get discipled. That's a good thing. Uh, one other thing about the coin. You know, coins are stamped with an image. If you had a quarter in your pocket, I think it's uh, George Washington stamped on the, on the coin. All of our money has King Hamid's picture on it. All of it. <laughs> and... Uh, but the coin is stamped with, the, with an image. And uh, Genesis chapter 127 says this. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. 
That tells me one thing, that of all that we have in this world, there's only one thing of true eternal value, and that's people. I fret about my old farmhouse. I fret about my retirement. I fret about, you know, scratching the car, you know, all these stupid things. They're meaningless. It's wood, hay, and stubble. There's nothing that matters more to God than people, and that should be in my heart as well. And I think it has to do with our perspective, the way we look at the world. I'll tell you a story, and then I'll close. An elderly couple moved to a new neighborhood. The next morning, while they were eating breakfast, the wife saw her neighbor hanging her wash outside. That laundry is not very clean. She doesn't know how to wash correctly. Perhaps she needs better laundry soap, she said. Her husband looked on and just remained silent. Every time her neighbor hung her wash, the elderly woman made the same comments, cranky comments. A month later, she was surprised to see a nice, clean wash on the line, and she told her husband, Look, her clothes are clean. She finally learned how to wash correctly. The husband replied, Well, I don't know much about that, but uh, by the way, I got up early this morning and cleaned our windows. (laughs) So it is with life. What you see when you're watching other people depends on the clarity of the window through which we look. For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which is lost. And I love this little parable because with all three of the parables, what happens when they give their heart to the Lord? Do they keep acting crazy and shooting everybody? No. They, they, they find peace. They share the gospel. It's a wonderful sight. I want to read to you something. I was here about one week, and there's a missionary over there. He likes to sit in the coffee houses with these guys, and uh, he's, he's a wonderful brother from England. He was kicked out of Yemen, so I know he's an effective missionary, okay? <laughs> Somebody said to me, Denny, have you been put in prison yet for your faith? I said, no. He said, well, you know, you're not much of a missionary then, are you? <laughs> I said, well, I hope you're not much of a prophet. I don't want to go to jail. And I've been to jail before I knew Jesus. I'm not going back there. <laughs> anyway, so this guy, this, this beautiful brother, he writes me this. And, and just, I don't know if you can appreciate it, but I was so blessed. He said, hi, Pastor Denny. Hope you're having a good time in the U.S. I thought you'd like to know. I was sitting with some Bahraini guys in Sanibus. Sanibus is a little town, and I know where he was. He's sitting in the coffee shop. I was sitting with some Bahraini guys in Sanibus last night, and one of them, Hattie, was telling the others about one of your sermons. Now think about that. He's sitting with Muslims. So Hattie, who I don't even know, came to church as a friend of Adam's. He brought him to church. You don't have to wait till people are saved to bring them to church, guys. Bring them here. Trust your pastor. He'll tell them the truth, right? So he says this. Hattie had been to one of your sermons, and he was telling the others about one of your sermons. It was the sermon about Abraham sacrificing his son. And then you related that to Jesus uh, on Calvary. And, and Hattie was telling the other guys about the similarities between their story and ours. Here's a Muslim guy that wandered into a church, happened to be I was preaching on the cross and the need for salvation. And now he's sitting with a bunch of Muslims talking to them about the cross of Jesus Christ. That's God. That's God, and that's amazing. But I wouldn't have known unless there was a missionary named Adam. 
I wouldn't have known unless there was a Holy Spirit speaking to the heart of a man named Hattie. I wouldn't have known until I got to heaven because we're going to see it all when we get there. What a delight that'll be. Let's stand and pray, shall we? If you're thinking about coming over, as I said, we could use the help. There's a lot of Muslims need Jesus. There's some that need him here. I'm available after the service. Talk with me. But Lord, we just love you so much. We thank you. We thank you, Lord, that your, your spirit is stamped on us, that we're made in your image. And Lord, I have to believe that part of that is a care for other people. You say all throughout your word that the one test of our faith is that we love others. Lord, forgive us for the times when we've been so wrapped up in us. And forgive us, Lord, for our whining and complaining. Lord, you know, when I, when I think, you know, Christians who have been driven out of their homes. The man that sat and told me how he saw his father shot right before him, Lord. And, and yet that man was smiling, not because of that, but because he and his family were safe, that you were blessing him, that he has an opportunity to share the gospel. Lord, I, I'm humbled by these people. The church in the Middle East, Lord, they're just, they're scared, but they're strong. Bless them today. Protect them. Watch over them. Let, the, let your light shine through them. And Lord, perhaps there are some here today who think, being a Christian is just so ho-hum and boring. Man, Lord, drop your Holy Spirit on them. This is an adventure we live. This is exciting to share Christ, whether it be in New Jersey or Bahrain or wherever. What a thrill, Lord, to see people light up with the knowledge of your love for them. We're not trash. We have value in your eyes. Thank you for that. Bless our neighbors. Bless our families, Lord. And, and Lord, if there are any here today that have not bent their knee to you, have not confessed that Jesus is their Savior, then I pray right now that you would just bless them. Open their heart. Help us to see that you do have a purpose for us. We're ambassadors for Christ. What a privilege. Bless this church. Bless Pastor Joe, the men who protect us, the men and women that serve to help us, Lord, to have this precious freedom that we have. Help us not to take it for granted, Lord, but to use it to help people get to heaven, to get to know you, to get to church, to hear your word. Thank you, Lord. What a privilege to know your grace. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.